Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means you might hear two hosts. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's August 3rd. Jesse Owens won his first of four gold medals at the Berlin Olympic Games on this day in 1936. The International Olympic Committee had given Berlin the Games back in 1931 sort of as a post-World War I gesture of welcoming Germany back into the world community. But Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany after that point, and by the time the Berlin Olympics were approaching, he had become a dictator and Germany had passed the anti-Semitic Nuremberg Laws. These laws and ongoing suspicions of human rights abuses in Germany led to calls for a boycott of the Games or to have the Games moved. After Olympic officials visited Berlin, a very tightly controlled visit put their minds at ease and the Games went on as planned, but a lot of athletes did elect not to participate. And in Germany, a lot of athletes were not allowed to participate, especially if they were Jewish. In the United States, though, one of the criticisms that people brought up about this boycott was that it was kind of hypocritical. People were refusing to go to Berlin to participate in the Games because of Germany's treatment of its Jewish population. But in the United States, Black athletes were being segregated into their own teams, into separate athletic facilities, sometimes not allowed to compete at all. And that brings us to Jesse Owens. Jesse Owens grew up in poverty as the child of sharecroppers. He had an amazing athletic ability from a very young age, though. He was known as the fastest man in America, and he had reached this point in spite of facing discrimination all through his life. That included not being able to stay with the rest of his team when he traveled with the Ohio State University track team, and he wasn't even allowed to live on campus because Ohio State University had no housing for Black students. At the Berlin Olympics, though, he won the 100-meter, 200-meter, 400-meter relay, and long jump. In the 400-meter relay, there was actually a pair of two Jewish-American athletes who were supposed to be on that team, Sam Stoller and Marty Glickman. They were swapped out at the last minute, and instead, Jesse Owens and Ralph Metcalf ran in their place. Stoller and Glickman always asserted that anti-Semitism played a part in this decision. There were rumors that the German team had come up with some people that might actually beat the Americans uh, regardless, though, by 1998, the Olympic Committee saw fit to comment on it, saying, we regret this injustice and feel it was an injustice. A lot has been made of the fact that Adolf Hitler didn't shake Jesse Owens' hand at the Olympics, but this is a little bit of a historical misunderstanding. It's true that Adolf Hitler didn't shake Jesse Owens' hand, but he hadn't been consistent about shaking people's hands. And the International Olympic Committee had asked him to please stop doing that and to either shake hands with everyone or shake hands with no one. He ultimately decided no one. So it doesn't appear that he specifically singled out Jesse Owens to not shake hands. However, when America's Black athletes got back to the United States, they were intentionally snubbed. They got no invitation to the White House like many other medalists did. They got no congratulations from President Roosevelt. Today, people focus on the fact that Jesse Owens won so many gold medals, and they talk about how it proved Hitler's racist ideas about Aryan supremacy wrong. And this leads to this perception that 
somehow the Berlin Olympics went badly for Hitler by undermining his racist ideas. But at the time, it was a really impressive Olympic Games. It was the first time the Olympics were televised. Overall, the games went really well. The German people were really welcoming. For a lot of the world outside of Germany, it put people's minds at ease about the Nazi party. Germans also won by far the most medals. This whole thing went so well, and went so well specifically for Adolf Hitler, that he actually thought that after the next Olympics in Tokyo, they would come back to Berlin permanently. But there were no Olympic Games for the next 12 years because of World War II. And that meant that for a lot of German-Jewish athletes who were barred from competing because of Germany's racist policies, they never got to go to the Olympics. Twelve years is a long time for a competing athlete, long enough for the competitive window to close. And, of course, a lot of those athletes did not survive the Holocaust. Thanks to Eve Jeffcoat for her research work on today's episode and to Tari Harrison for her audio skills on this podcast. You can learn more about Jesse Owens in the August 1st, 2012 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class, and you can subscribe to This Day in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, really wherever else you want to get a podcast. And you can tune in tomorrow for some famous wax. What's up, everyone? Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was August 3rd, 1778. The Teatro alla Scala, also known as La Scala, was inaugurated in Milan. La Scala is one of the most prominent opera houses in the world. Before La Scala, there was the Royal Ducal Theater, which was the place to go for opera in Milan. But on February 26, 1776, the Royal Ducal was destroyed in a fire. So a replacement needed to be built. Empress Maria Theresa saw to the construction of a new theater, Building expenses were covered by owners of the boxes at the Ducal in exchange for renewed ownership of their private boxes and possession of the land that was home to the church of Santa Maria alla Scala. Architect Giuseppe Piermarini, who had worked on the Royal Palace of Milan and other major projects, was commissioned to design the new opera house. Santa Maria alla Scala was torn down to build the Teatro alla Scala, a name that translates as Theater at the Stairway. After two years of construction, La Scala opened on August 3, 1778. The first opera performed at La Scala was Antonio Salieri's L'Europa Riconosciuta, or Europa Revealed, with a libretto written by Mattia Verazzi. The opera house has a neoclassical facade, and its interior is lavish, It has a horseshoe-shaped auditorium, and it was originally designed with six tiers of boxes, though many of these ornamented original boxes didn't survive past the mid-1800s. Two side wings were added in 1830, and gas lights were installed in 1860 that were eventually replaced with electric lights. By the early 1800s, the types of productions that were offered at La Scala were shifting, Opera seria, or opera with a serious theme, became more prominent. 
and choreographer Salvatore Vigano and dancer Carlo Blasi helped establish the theater as a force in the world of ballet. Over the years, La Scala has been associated with a number of artists. Composers Gaetano Donizetti, Giuseppe Verdi, Vincenzo Bellini, and Giacomo Puccini produced work for La Scala. Many works have premiered at La Scala, including Bellini's Il Parata in 1827 and Verdi's Oberto in 1839. Artistic director Arturo Toscanini played a huge role in the administration and direction of the theater. La Scala has had operational challenges. It was closed during World War I and bombed during World War II. It also had to close in late 2001 for major renovations and reopened in 2004. But through management changes, the theater remains open. La Scala is associated with a ballet company, ballet school, and singing school. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to learn more about the Opera House, you can listen to the episode of Stuff You Missed in History class called the La Scala Opera House. If you feel like correcting my pronunciation or my accent on anything that I've said in the show, feel free to leave a very kind comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.